0: Hello, people of the world, and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project podcast. I cannot wait to introduce you today's guest. Her name is Rose Ingrid Benjamin. I found Rose Ingrid on Instagram. I found her in a post that she made where she is dancing around, proud to be her, proud to be everything that Rose Ingrid is. And I was like, that is the kind of person I want to be around and want to put in my circle and just talk to and know and at the bare minimum interview on a podcast, so I was honored when she said that she wanted to be a part of it. Rose Ingrid is a member of the Haitian diaspora, settled on Turtle Island. She is a singer, actor, writer, and educator creating at the intersection of art, faith, and justice. She has performed poetry and original music at venues across North America, combining pop and R&B with gospel influences alongside her booming vocals and poetic musings. Her experiences at the intersection of blackness, poverty, queerness, and womanhood have greatly influenced her art and writing. Alongside her artistic endeavors, she is completing her certificate in independent music production at Seneca College and planning to release a podcast and chapter book in 2021. Rosinger taught me so much, so 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 much about systemic racism in the church, about white privilege in evangelical cultures, racism in general. She taught me about colonialism, how to get in touch with who you truly are through things that I've never thought of before. Rosingrid has an incredible story, and I think that we can all learn so much from stories like hers and just being open to learning and being open to being corrected and being open to being wrong and understanding that you don't know everything and I don't know everything. And we need to listen to those who have experiences that we don't. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. If you guys are enjoying listening to the Unity Project podcast and you want to support me as a podcaster, a writer, any of the things, if you want to become a part of the Unity Project podcast, then go to patreon.com slash GTV. That is where you can support me for as little as $1 a month. That will help me make this podcast everything that I dream for it to be and write the books that I dream to write. And... All the things, you guys. If you want to support me, go ahead and do that. Or if you want to read my story and find out how I got from there to here and any and all the things, you can read my book, Finding Home. You can pick up a copy of that at my website, www.jackiegranland.com. Or, if you want to support me but you cannot afford to financially, then leaving a review for this podcast is incredibly helpful. Anywhere that you listen to podcasts, just go down there. You don't have to say much, just however you feel about it, let me know. That helps a lot more than I think a lot of people realize. So, yeah, enjoy. Enjoy. How are you doing up there in Canada? I'm all
1: right, trying to stay warm. Yeah, it's cold now.
0: Oh my gosh, how cold <laughs> is it? It's snowing yet?
1: Oh, it started snowing <laughs> this week. Yeah, I mean, oh. in Ottawa, where I am, there okay. like in, in Alberta, they've already had actual snow. Um, here, it's just it hasn't stuck to the ground. But the other okay. day my friend came by the house and was like, yo, the kids just had their first snowball fight of the season. Oh, <laughs> and went, I'm, I'm gonna so go jealous. hide in my room. Oh no. Oh yeah, my Caribbean blood protests. I oh, refuse. Oh and it's too long.
0: Yeah. Like it's yeah. not
1: gonna stop till April.
0: Oh my goodness. I, I've seen
1: it snow in May. It's the worst.
0: That's so sad. I grew up in Colorado where similar things happen. I've yeah. never been to Ottawa, I don't think, but the way you're talking about it sounds familiar to me. Yeah.
1: I'm always like, man. My mother left the Caribbean to come to the second coldest, first coldest capital in the world. Why?
0: Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I haven't yeah. been to the
0: Caribbean, so I'm like, that must be very different than I don't know,
1: Apparently, I read somewhere, I don't know if it's true, but that it takes three generations to acclimate. And I go, it's not my fault, y'all. My body <laughs> oh my wasn't meant for this.
0: Yeah, I don't blame you. Wait, why'd she, why, you said your mom went from the Haiti. Caribbean to. Yeah.
1: Both my parents immigrated from Haiti here. Um, Oh,
0: wow. That's awesome. Yeah. How, like, is that like a crazy
1: story? or? I don't know if it's a crazy one. I mean, I think a lot of people did around that time. There's a lot of political unrest in Haiti, too. Uh Like, my mom is one of nine. I think eight of them made it off the island. I have two aunts in Canada. Well, three. One that passed away here when I was little. Um, So there's four of them here. And then... Another four in the states. Like my uncle was in Florida until he passed away. I mm-hmm. have an uncle and two aunts in Atlanta. So, and then a, a gazillion cousins and second cousins, like <laughs> in New York, New Jersey, Miami, all throughout the U.S.
0: Oh, you're scattered. Oh yeah,
1: I, I think no know I have one of you. <laughs> Twenty five first cousins that, I, and half of them I haven't met. It's it's oh my goodness. it's wild. That's yeah. insane. It's kind of wild, yeah.
0: I have a teeny family, so I have no idea what that's like, but I can imagine it's nuts. We only
1: really like weddings and funerals. That's when Wedding. you kind of, all of a sudden, it's like, yo, what's up? You know, the first <laughs> cousin, second cousin, person that you like only really knew as a kid. Like, what's going on? Oh, cool, I'm doing this. And the token random lady who's like, why don't you all have kids yet? It's like, don't. <laughs> the token random lady. Oh yeah, because she's not really related to us, but she's friends with someone, so she thinks she is. She's mm. like, I'm like your auntie, but like you're really not. <laughs>
0: I so know that lady. I feel like I, I know we her well. Do. We all know that lady.
1: <laughs> you know, I'm like give your give your mom some grandkids and I'm like, "Whoa, calm down. We good." Oh my goodness. <laughs> Oh
0: man, yeah. Rose Ingrid, I can tell that you are such a crazy cool human being. So thank, well, thank you, you so Yeah, thank you so much for wanting to do this podcast. For those listening, we have never met before. I found Rose Ingrid on Instagram and saw a video she posted dancing around just love and life and I read the caption and was blown away by how just real and honest and just so cool you are and I was like I can learn from this person so we need to talk
1: that's so funny it's so sweet and like I, I appreciate it I still get so weirded out when people call me cool because I'm just like oh man. I'm this like nerdy kid who's reading a book a day in like grade <laughs> school you know Sat at home playing worship songs on Friday nights instead of going to parties. Oh
0: my gosh. <laughs> Definition um,
1: cool right there. Yeah, I know. I, and I think the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, you just like yourself. Okay, cool. That that helps. Oh no. um, But like the idea that I think people we consider cool are just people who just stopped apologizing for themselves. Oh, that's when you very when you think good. about it. Like most cool mm-hmm. people never call themselves cool. Mm-hmm. And I think of people like I just like oh you're so you're so incredibly cool. They just carry this aura of like. I fucks with myself and that's Mm -hmm. cool, right? I'm like, ah, yeah. I'm going to remember
0: that. That's good. Yeah. I
1: I appreciate that though.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first, the first question I ask everyone on this podcast to start off the conversation is to describe the relationship that you have with your body.
1: Hmm. It's complicated. Mm -hmm. I would say that we are um, old friends, friends. Old friends who are getting to know each other again. Wow. That's a very Um, good description. Yeah. Because I feel like in many ways in this season, I'm learning who I am for the first time almost. I'm almost being reintroduced to who Rosingrid is as a whole person. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I lived a lot of my life very compartmentalized um, between my home life and my church life when I was a teen and in my 20s. That I'm finally in a pace where... I really don't have to answer to anybody but Rose Ingrid, wow. and it's it's interesting, and so it's complicated because I think there's still all this leftover stuff. Everyone knows when you're dealing with trauma, this, and and you know, uh, and just leftover like hang-ups from old experiences, and these uh, in therapy we're talking right now about schemas.
0: Oh, That's yeah. actually what
1: inspired the post. We were talking like a couple of weeks ago about the schemas that we tell ourselves and like the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, mm-hmm. and reflecting about the things I was told about my body growing up. You know, all the messages, whether through family or at church or in the media, as a, as a, I mean, I'm a fat black woman. Um, all of that, like coming in and even silently still informing how I carry myself and how I love myself. Um, and so I'm learning to counteract that. Mm. Um, every day. And it's hard. And COVID's been a crazy wild catalyst in the midst of that because you're alone with your thoughts a lot.
0: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That sounds like such an intentional, very important journey that you went on. What was mm-hmm. it like growing up? Like, what were these messages? What was what was young Rose Ingrid like
1: at the very Ooh. beginning? Uh, really intense. I mean, I'm still pretty intense, but I was a very... I had a cousin who used to call me 13 going on 45. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My parents divorced when I was really young. So I'm oldest of two in an immigrant Caribbean home. Um, My parents met in Haiti. My mom immigrated here, waited for him. They got married, uh, tried to have kids. My mom had three miscarriages before me. So I was the miracle baby and she used to always tell me I really wanted you so you better turn out no pressure um (laughs) yeah and my mom's a teacher so she's educated and like really valued that and so when I was interested in like reading and those kind of things early on she really grasped onto that which I think added to the expectation that I felt upon me and Mm -hmm. so my parents split when I was four it was messy and tragic and confusing um and I think for me, it was a lot of, yeah, you got to be strong. There was, there was very little room for my grief. Um, I actually am figuring out now, I'm 33 now, I'm realizing now that no one was ever gentle with me as a child. Wow. Like I'm, I'm processing my mental health and I have good days and I have bad days. And some days it's just so hard. I was talking to a friend who's a teacher and she says, I've learned to talk to my inner child like I talk to my students. And so she goes, you know, hey, honey, how are you doing today? Are you sad? Do you need to cry right now? It's okay if you need to cry. You know, you can go in the corner and cry. And when you're ready, we can have a cup of tea and wrap ourselves in a blanket. And I'm reading this message and I start weeping because I realize I've never been given that space. Wow. I was, even as a child, like my mom, bless her, like she's she's a warrior. And I learned so much from her. But I know that so much of the undoing I have to do comes from our relationship as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there was not very much room for, and I think that's the reality for a lot of black women, um, not a lot of room for my, to, there's no room to break down.
0: Why, why is that, do you think?
1: Um, honestly, like to boil it down, I don't think people think we're human. Oh wow! I am I am realizing now that even some of my closest friends I'm like, do you not realize I'm I'm a human being? Like I, I I I tell you I'm unwell. I'm telling you I'm depressed. I'm waving my scars in your face like I'm I'm bleeding right now. Help mm. me! And I think because for a lot of things I I look at being in an immigrant home, and you know all of a sudden we went from having a house and a car and whatever to living in a shelter and being on welfare and having nothing. Um, And you don't know where dad is and what's going on, but it's confusing. And mom is just doing what she can to make it work. And so I learned to negate my needs to keep the peace at home. Mm. While mom has so many things on on her shelf and on her plate, she doesn't need one more thing. So if there's a conflict, whereas my brother would be like, I need this now, assert my needs, assert, 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 cause chaos if necessary. I'd be like, well, it's easier for me to, Shut this down. It's either for me to, to to push this feeling aside, and then you know keep everyone happy. Mm-hmm. And so, if you look at the parallels between my brother and I and how we grew up and how our adolescence came out, I was a very chill teen in the sense that I went to school, I went to work, I got good grades, I went to church, I loved church. Um, I didn't go to parties, I didn't go clubbing, I didn't drink. I think legally till I was legal. Um, even then, I hated it. Like I, I, I really was like the model rule following kid Um, and the only exception to that was when I felt that the rules were being like where the rules were wrong innately Um, but so yeah so I think I think a lot of people in immigrant homes like oldest daughters will feel that pressure to be a second parent my mom had trust issues which I understand why and so I was kind of her daughter but also confidant and also like tag team and we used to say this we're the three musketeers it's us three against the world which is Great in some ways, but also leads to some really, really awkward power dynamics, hmm. which I didn't realize were what they were until I left for school. Because all of a sudden, I was becoming an individual, and it caused tension between us. And it was, it would be like, all right, is my mother asking or is my friend asking? You can't ask friend things in your mom voice. That's not fair to me. Um, okay. You, yeah. So I think when it comes to, I just stepped into this role that i have to be strong i have to be good um i have to always be in control and i have to take care of people my mom my brother my my cousins friends at school Hmm. at church um and i never really questioned it and you just kind of and it perpetuates itself
0: yeah so you it sounds to me like you'd never really had like a true childhood
1: in some ways, yeah, I'm, and I, again, I'm really only just realizing that there was a lot of no, good in it. Like, I mean, uh-huh. I don't think everything is, anything is one thing. So there's laughter and, and kid like things, but I know that I was worried about things that kids shouldn't be worried about, uh-huh. you know? And I was, yeah, I had concerns that weren't kid concerns. And so in that sense, I really didn't. Um, and I'm learning to mourn some of that um and it's interesting because you hang out in a group of like immigrant kids and it's like everyone's got that kind of story for the most part and so like there's sometimes even this whole like why are we crying about it that's just what i have to do mm-hmm. right but as much as i go yeah we have to do it and we and i'm glad we took care of our own and i'm glad we're helped you know i have friends like that their education has taken the p- family out of poverty that's amazing But let's also acknowledge that we shouldn't have had to do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's big. I'm thankful that, like, my brother could call me and, you know, hey, I need this and I could pay for it. Sure. Or, okay, cool. I could help my mom with groceries or school supplies or whatever or the hydro when I was in in university. But I can also acknowledge that that that's not how most kids function. And while my peers were figuring themselves out and making mistakes um, and dreaming and failing, I was making a lot of safe choices that now I look back on and I see them as that. And I'm relearning how to think big again. I'm relearning how to dream again. I'm relearning mm-hmm. how to be light. I'm relearning gentleness Um in, in new ways. Cause I, I didn't develop any of that growing up.
0: Wow. Yeah, That is so beautiful. It's like sad and beautiful at the same time. Mm-hmm. Cause it's so great that you get to experience that journey now as a, a grown woman, but so sad that you didn't get to have that as a kid. Like, what did that kind of tell you about yourself? Like not getting treated, treated gently or getting to have needs really that, you got to express like, what did that tell you about who Rose
1: Ingrid is? Um, I think in many ways, I felt like I was at the service of others, which made me very susceptible to evangelicalism.
0: Oh,
1: yep. (laughs) So, but, and and it's funny because people look at me and go, oh, is that church stuff? I'm like, "Mm, I was already, I was already bred for that. Yeah. I was already very much conditioned to submit And to to be part of the team and to take one for the team um, Mm. and to negate my own needs for others. And so I think a lot of it, it told me that my needs didn't matter or that I didn't have needs. For a while, I I didn't know I had love languages. I was like, oh, I I receive anything, which is not true. Um, You know, touch is one of my top ones and words of affirmation are huge for me. But there was a time where I couldn't even differentiate because I was just so used to rationalizing love. Yeah. Um, and be like, I know that's not how you, it makes me feel, but I know you love me. And again, it really I look at my time in the church and I see how those situations in my family relationships made it so easy for me to accept abuse from pastors um, in church communities and be like, oh, no, but he doesn't mean that. Yeah. You know, he means better. It's OK. Um, and it's funny, I, I I've been out of the church for four years, and yet I feel like I'll never stop being a church kid in the sense that like so many of the references I have are church related. <laughs> and I still make Bible references because there's it's just in there. You yeah. can't forget it. And so, but there's a there's a verse somewhere in there um, that talks about how when you're hungry, even vinegar tastes like honey, or like something around those lines. Oh, or that I know when what you're, you're talking about or when you're full. Even honey tastes like vinegar, and I've been thinking of that a lot lately, mm. because I feel like I'm finally in a place where I'm in a my tank is much more full when it comes to love for myself, and now, particularly this year, I'm seeing that I'm 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 putting up boundaries. I'm like, oh no 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 no, see that? I won't I not accept that in my life,
0: mm. and
1: and it's making people close to me kind of like, what's wrong with you? Why are you? why are things so difficult between us nothing's changed but I've changed and I'm no longer scared to be alone if my boundaries are too much for you Mm. I'm no longer scared that you'll leave me like if you leave me I know I'll be okay whereas all through childhood there was this biggest fear that not that I would be rejected but that would be abandoned and Uh so you just please for that um and so I, yeah, I realize I'm like, oh, I'm no longer starved for for that. I'm still yeah. working on loving myself well. It's still a daily struggle, but I'm no longer so hungry that I'll accept anything, or what, or at least what I accepted for myself in my at 21, no longer cuts it for me at 33. Is mm. what I'm realizing. Yeah.
0: Okay. What did that look like? Like, how did you get from? not being okay with not having needs and not knowing love languages to where you are now. Like what did that look like?
1: I think it was a journey. Um there's some key people in my life that in different seasons really pushed that. I, my mom had a stroke when I was 19. Um so I dropped out in of university, uh, moved back home, took a breather, started working. Um and I met I was involved in campus ministry and I met some folks at a conference. I guess y'all call it crew in the States. Um, we call it power to change now. Mm-hmm. When I was involved, it was Campus for Christ. But now they, they're all postmodern in their name anyway. Um, <laughs> Trying to be cool. Jesus is the power to change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this crusade would not fly in Canadian culture. It really wouldn't. Oh, um, my I think the European ones called Agape. Like they, they all have different names. Anywho. Um, but I had met some folks and made some friends around that time that really were just uh super emotional <laughs> mm. I had a roommate actually in like years ago who would come home and be like so how was your day I'm like fine what'd you do went to work and she'd be like no 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 no, no. I want a story so you're gonna tell me how your day went I don't just want I'm okay So what did you do on your day? Who did you see? What gave you things? And I I had never really realized that I didn't do that. Um, And now you can't stop me. But like, (laughs) you know, and we're not really close anymore. We've changed a lot. I've changed a lot and life happens. But, you know, Ruth taught me how to tell stories about my day and how to share pits. And um, I had a friend. I have a friend. We're still friends um, who I met when I was 21, who I regularly say, um, really challenged me on what love was because he would try to take care of me and I would resist because that's my default I can take care of myself and mm-hmm. he would go okay who's more stubborn me or you and so the question is is my pride at you helping me or serving me or caring for me stronger than my pride at making a scene in this restaurant though mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll let you pay or you know what I, do, I am having a rough day I do need someone to hang out with or I would love a home cooked meal. And it's still hard, but there are a few people who actually like stuck around long enough to get past all of the defense mechanisms I'd put up to be like, are you, uh, are you actually safe? Are you sticking around? And you know, like he and I are still friends like 12 years later. Um, and yeah, and, and that's still very much a part of our relationship. Um, and it's allowed me to be more open. I think leaving church also helped.
0: Okay. what what was, what was that like? Why did you, what made you leave church?
1: A lot of things. <laughs> oh,
0: I love this conversation. <laughs> Tell me everything. <laughs>
1: um, I mean, I had been involved. I started going to church when I was about 12. I mean, we had always gone to church beforehand, but I became an evangelical or entered that world when I was 12. I went to youth group. That's how everyone gets involved. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a youth group in my neighborhood and kids at school were going. So I went and I had attended the same church eventually i started going wednesdays and sunday mornings and like busing for double service and i learned about worship leading and got baptized in the spirit and all that stuff um and i got involved in campus ministry when i went away for school so when i came back after my mom's stroke i volunteered even though i wasn't a student because i was like oh man i could share about jesus mind-blowing i was like the same jesus that transformed my life i could tell other people about it how come nobody told me i loved it evangelicals just evangelism was like my thing I loved it I oozed it um Mm -hmm. zealous zealous child but but at the time I left ministry and left the church it was about 2016 um I had gone to bible college for a few years um at the church I grew up in left realizing that I could not be there anymore because I grew up in a very like charismatic word of faith space I was like I don't believe theology you're robbing people I need to go (laughs) uh then name it and claim it like People are always like, what do you mean? I'm like, we, we, I've met Jerry Savelle. Like, my pastor goes, used to go to the Kenneth Copeland conference every year for pastors. Like, we were in it. Um, wow. Yeah, it's, I look back and go, Ooh. and I think, <laughs> and people always wonder how I ended up there. And I'm like, I was a kid. And I was 12, and I was there, and they were my family. And where I come from, you don't just drop family, mm-hmm. right? And so... There was some weird things, and there are some things that weren't perfect, but that was home. Um, but yeah, and I was on staff with a missions group called Move In, that's like based in Canada, but essentially moves into at-risk neighborhoods for the purpose of I don't know. It's 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 kind of drenched, and in... I look at it now, and I that's actually some of the shame I actually wrestle with post my time in ministry because um, I realized I worked full time for this group that really is drenched in colonialism and walks into these neighborhoods with m- predominantly upper middle-class white folks, assuming they can just live there and under the guise of being a good neighbor, but really you're trying to trick your neighbors into Jesus. Yeah, um, They don't know that you've literally mapped out cities based on density and poverty and based on the percentage of Muslims who live there. And you pick the neighborhood because there's lots of poor brown and black non-christian folks there
0: oh gosh that's the most manipulative thing
1: like there's websites with charts like these are the most whatever's you could live anywhere but why not live here and i and i helped do that yeah Um, in my zeal and in my desire to help people and i was like oh yeah man and it was so much different from my suburban church life that i knew i didn't relate with and so i was like yeah let's do it and i moved in um but the longer i was involved and the longer i was in my neighborhood the more i was like wait a second My neighbors are predominantly poor. And I mean, I'm not wealthy in any, by any, (laughs) any shape (laughs) or form, but I'm more wealthy. I have more mobility or at least proximity to wealth than you do. Um, most of my neighbors were, were living in community housing and I'm like, the city treats you like garbage because they don't have to be nice to you because you have nowhere else to go. Police camp out here every day. Um, And park in our like next to the corner store, like it's their own parking lot, and walk around the neighborhood like they own it. Um, People just come through here like they own it. Where and nowhere else in the city. I live in a in like it's a government town, so our city is pretty much known for universities and government. Everyone here loves suburbs and safety and security and your four hundred one k. We like good jobs and stable lives, Mm -hmm. so there's nowhere else in town you're welcome and then we come here because we think god anointed us to do that and we also assume that we we have a right to your space and we have a right to relationship with you and we have a right to like be here because we you need us and i was like wait a second if jesus was here before me won't jesus be here after me also who are we to take all these white folks from universities on prayer walks through these neighborhoods that we don't have any relationship in. Mm -hmm. This is not a zoo. Wow. I became super defensive of my neighborhood. I remember I was hanging out with a neighbor in her backyard one night, and we saw these people walking around the neighborhood. I'm like, they don't look like they're from here. They're glass like the way they were dressed, um, the way they huddled, and we're like, who are these people and why are they here? Turns out it was Habitat for Humanity. And they were just strolling around the neighborhood like they owned it. And I guess someone in the neighborhood had won a house, which is fine. Why did you not bring one photographer and one person? Why did you not park closer to the house you were going to? Why did you just camp out in the middle and make a nice work of yourself? You know that people who are from here look at you and go, who are they and what are they doing here? And they have no business here. Mm -hmm. And we are we're already fighting for space. You know, we're already fighting the drug dealers and we're already fighting the the social workers and the city housing and the the pimps and the johns like don't come here and exploit us for your own take too. You don't have to videotape all the way through the neighborhood like it's gross. Um, And so all of this was stirring in me. And also, you know, it was a time where we were seeing a lot more news about black people being killed by the police. Oh, right? Wow. Yeah. 2015, 2014, 2016. And I was looking around and seeing myself in that and getting so much grief. And then going to church and being like, no one's talking about this. I I was going to church every week and sitting in this in the pew and going, when my 40-something-year-old white pastor from Florida imagined a church in the city, my story my baggage, like my existence, did not cross his mind. This wasn't built for me.
0: Yeah. What did that that feel like to you? Like being in this very, very trusted, trusted environment and people and religion and to have them like just see past something that is that huge in your life?
1: I think it really, it just hurt. I look back and there's just a lot of hurt and disappointment because it's not... Cause I look, I look back and I go, I was saying these things really nicely. You know, I, I'm a, I'm a spoken word artist too. So I wrote poems and I wrote blog posts and, you know, like, Hey, it's like, look at me. Do you see me? Do you see my pain? Do you see this? And especially growing up in predominantly white spaces, you're just used to being the token all the time. Um, and you're just like, Hey, I'm more than just a person who helps you feel good during worship. I'm more than the person that you call when you need prayer or someone to take you to the hospital or someone to make you dinner mm-hmm. like I I've been pouring out to y'all for years can we take care of me too and 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 like there's been I've had material needs that people have showed up for you know my mom got sick again and she had to go to a nursing home and so people help me with that and in other areas you know I'll help you move but I'm like I'm not just a material being. I'm an emotional one. I'm a spiritual one. And if you don't see me as a full black Mm -hmm. woman, then you're not seeing all of that either. And I happened to be in therapy um, that year for the first time with a Christian counselor who um, was, I think, instrumental in my leaving. She really challenged why I was serving and asked me um, why I was in ministry and told me Jesus wasn't a good enough answer. Wow. I know
0: <laughs> she's Bold. like
1: yeah, right <laughs> well that's what happens when black women are in your life they don't yes. they don't mince words with you
0: um, oh, I love it I love it so much
1: <laughs> and she was like look you can have a full future in ministry if you want but if you don't handle yourself right now you're gonna break down eventually and you could do it now while the stakes are lower or it could happen like 10-15 years from now when you're pastoring a church Or you're running a ministry of who who knows how many people. And it's like most pastors would be better off if they took a couple years to take care of their stuff. Because if I'm serving out of my insecurity and my brokenness as a way to avoid taking care of myself, then really I'm not helping anyone. Mm -hmm. And so that really challenged me. And that's partially what led me to to give notice and to leave my job. Um, And then the combination of that and just looking around and just feeling so uneasy and not having the worst for being like I don't essentially I don't fit here I don't belong here this is not for me um and now I have language around like white supremacy and racism and all these things but I just I just knew that something was amiss um and I remember very clearly one week I was supposed to lead worship with my friend he had asked me to sing with him and I was like sure and like that summer was just really rough um, Black Lives Matter Toronto had just like done a huge protest in Toronto um, at Pride, and it had like a lot of people were responding very negatively. I think there was some lo- stuff going on in the states. I think it was right after there was like a police shooting in a protest in Texas or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things going on that week, and I had no desire to go to church. And I went because I told my friend I would sing with them. And our pastor was gone, but one of our leaders was like, "Hey guys." Um, you know, it's been a crazy week in the world this week. You couldn't just name racism, but anywho. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. Just impossible to name it. Um, it makes
0: me feel so sick. Ugh.
1: Oh, he's like, you know, could we, like, put some prayer in your worship set? And to understand the, the mentality of this, this is a church where praying out loud was super normal. Um, where praying spontaneously was super normal. We were used to this. So... We decided um, my friend would open, I would close. We would stop halfway after the second song. He would read a Bible verse, open the prayer, and let it be. So we get to that point in the set, and I'm on that stage, and no one, like, it was crickets. And I was like, y'all can't eat. I will take crumbs. Pray for the cops. You know, it's problematic, but I'll take it. Yeah. like acknowledge that something is happening pray uh-huh. for kids who've lost their parents uh-huh. that's that's neutral and the thing is again we're a very educated city most of my friends at church or peers at church were working on on the hill they all have government jobs they all have degrees it's like you're not watching the news and i'm staring at this room of people that i've invested in and i've committed myself to you and i'm like oh my god really and I, I cried right there. And I remember I was just waiting. I think the only person who made any comment towards that in the prayer was my roommate. But my roommate and I had those conversations all the time. So I expected that from her. Uh-huh. But the silence was so deafening. And I finished, the, when I closed the prayer, I named all the victims by name. And I named Black Lives Matter Toronto. And I prayed especially for like, the queer and trans siblings who were out there fighting for their justice too. And I was like, I don't even care. Yeah. Um, and I think that was the beginning of the end for me. Um, I went on tour that year. So I was gone for three months. I was in the US from t- uh, August to October 2016. <laughs> 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 um, so, uh, yeah, so oh. when I came <laughs> back. Rep times. It was it was something else, man. <laughs> I, I had told myself, let me be in the car with the white people. I don't want to be a hashtag. At one oh point, we're driving gosh. down. We drove I don't from want to be a yo. I was I was like uh uh-uh. uh. At one point, it was me and four black dudes <laughs> driving. Like we had all the equipment with us too. So we have a big truck and like we're driving the truck down. We're driving from Fort Wayne, Indiana to Tennessee, and I was like, let us not get stopped. Please, 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 oh, no. please. And we didn't, but I, I'm sure everyone else in the car felt it too, you know? Yeah. Um, but I came back so exhausted, and um, I had been receiving messages from a man that went to my church for about three months, most of them all I was on the road, because I, I decided I was tired of waiting for someone to do something for me, so I um, decided to organize a vigil for Alton Sterling and Philando Castile um, that summer. And so I caught together some friends. I put together a worship team. I had some clout in the city. So I called some leaders to come, you know, help organize, to speak. So we met at a monument downtown, um, you know, marched and sang and then worshiped together and prayed together and had a preacher come and share why Black Lives Matter is in the heart of God. And so I shared about this at church and I posted about it on Facebook because it's for Christians and this man started messaging me telling me that Black Lives Matter was not of God and that if I was a good Christian I would denounce them Um, and sending me all these like you know Fox News talking points and the token black guy he found from some random you know who knows PragerU site telling how Black Lives Matter is wrong and every time I told him leave me alone he ignored me and continued to message me Um, and I came back and he was still messaging me and I had hit a point where I was like, I was very exhausted and I could not. And a friend of mine goes, you should tell pastor. So I did. Uh, I took screenshots and emailed my pastor and I was like, yo, yeah, this guy's been harassing me for months. I'm back in town. I'd like to come to church, but I don't feel super safe. Can we do something about this? And his response was, I don't see what the problem is.
0: Oh, my God. Oh and I'm my like,
1: God. do I have to spell out for you? And, you know, again, we have this thing. I think women have it a lot and, and a lot of racialized people, we gaslight ourselves and go, maybe I'm crazy. Oh yeah. And so I take my screenshots and I send to my other white friend who's also a past. I'm like, Hey, what's your instinct? She's like, Oh my gosh, this and this and this and this and that. Like immediately five minutes later, I get a like a proper response and I'm like, okay, so I'm not crazy. Yeah. Um, and (laughs) I, I blog a little bit, like not tons, not consistently. I would get like a hundred hits, 200 hits, no big deal. Um, and my first week back from the road, I wrote this blog post, uh, dear white church, my breakup letter with the faith of my youth. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, I read a lot of angsty things in the dark. And so I scheduled it and went to sleep and woke up the next day and I was unpacking and no big deal. I hit, got 1200 hits in two days, which for me was a lot um yeah, it went locally viral. So everyone I knew read it. People I didn't know were reading it. My pastor was getting phone calls and emails.
0: Oh my god. Oh yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> but no
1: one was emailing or calling me. And I'm like I posted it publicly. My phone number hasn't changed. My email hasn't changed. It's on Facebook. It was wild cuz like I saw POC I had never known before. Sharing it with their friends, like, oh my gosh, I feel this way. I I, I relate oh. so much with this. Thank you so much for this. Um but none of the white folks in my life really talked about it. Um, and my pastor emailed me and he was like, I saw your post, and I uh don't want to exacerbate the situation, but I figured I should message you, and I'm like, yo, hey, it's not all about you. You think you're the first white man who's pastored <laughs> me? To, like, I've been in this game for a while, I've been in white church. If I had a problem with you, I would have called you and said, yo, bro, I have a problem with you. Um, but maybe we should have a conversation about this. Anyway, I had to pretty much force him to have to talk about it with me. And at the same time, I wanted to talk about the man who was harassing me. We had a three-hour lunch. And um, again, this is a man that I loved immensely, who I felt was a spiritual father of sorts, um, who had, had shown care and and guidance and and love towards me um and I was hearing things like oh you're being hard on the people who love you
0: oh my god
1: and and now I see this but in the moment you're like something's not sitting right but I don't know what it is
0: yeah it's called
1: gaslighting it's emotional manipulation
0: yes oh my gosh that makes me so mad oh (laughs) i Oh, like gaslighting and manipulation and all that in itself is like just garbage. But like when it comes from a pastor, I have like a
1: special place of just pissed off in my heart for that. And this is like also, you know, I don't have a dad. So these like spiritual men were just, I realize that now, like taking dad roles. And I mean, you call yourself a spiritual parent, like not him, but I have a pastor who used to do that. And like, you know, the one I grew up with. He has daughter my age, so there were like a bunch of us. Who we're all the same age. We all grew up together. Yeah. So to be like, oh, this man is twisted, and I mean, he's little. My the pastor I grew up was literally like a crook. Like he's I, 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 I stand by that. Yeah. Like that's a whole other conversation. Um, they ran a private school that never gave kids high school diplomas, so they essentially stole from a bunch of families at church. And there's a generation of kids in my city who don't have high school diplomas because their church mismanaged their oh funds and God. education. Yeah,
0: we and there's still a man and there's <laughs> still a
1: so there's still a ministry. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> I look at this and I go, y'all are lucky you're not Americans. Y'all have been dragged like so many of these ministries here. I go, if y'all were who you are in the U.S., it'd be over. Y'all are just lucky wow. that Canadians don't care. Christian is not Christianity is on mainstream culture here. And that's the oh only reason gosh. they get away with it. Um, oh, that's
0: interesting. I didn't know that. There's, yeah. So there's a big difference in how that's oh, yeah. handled in America versus Canada?
1: Oh, yeah. We're, we're very we're much closer to Europe in, like, post-Christian culture. Uh-huh. So, like, yes, our history and our laws are all rooted in Christianity. But I know that because I was very in Christianity and I paid attention to history class. But most Canadians don't realize that we're not that progressive. Okay. <laughs> like, culturally... We're very conservative in that, like we we have that British politeness to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but Christianity, like evangelicalism, as a mainstream political cultural being, is not the same at all. The way you see articles written about Hillsong or whatever's or Baffle as a piece of news in the U.S., that no one does that here. Okay. Unless it's like a huge, oh, someone broke a law or someone someone murdered someone or it's a big news piece. But stuff like Pastor was racist and you know, people left en masse from his church, that's not mainstream news here. Stuff like this church literally got tuition from parents for entire high school and, and like grade school careers and never gave them high school diplomas. Most people in the city don't know. He still sits on boards.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Right? And I know kids. I know people, well, they're not kids anymore. They're in their late 20s. I have friends who are still trying to navigate and undo the harm done to them by these institutions that took advantage of them and their parents' naivete because a lot of these parents did not, aren't... I grew up around a church around people who weren't educated. Mm. I, I, there's a really uh, an interesting cross-section of race and class in word of faith communities.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, so I, it used to always really bother me when I left and was in more quote-unquote like mainstream evangelical spaces because like oh wow you picked the good side I'm like you don't get to think you're better because you have access to education and, and, and you know systematic theology Uh-uh-uh-uh. because I I sat in pews with really faithful people who happen to either be really working class or black and brown and so I can't knock them for not knowing better, and this kind of thing it preys on the people who don't critically think or who are desperate. If you tithe, you'll get it back. You know you're broke right now. I used to be broke. Look how God has blessed me. Oh. Of course you want that, but then you don't start seeing that it's been ten years and you're still broke. but pastors richer than you, mm-hmm. and richer than we when we started ten years ago, why? Okay. And it's not just because you're not you not having enough faith, and pastor has more faith than you. Also, pastor has a degree. You don't, right? Pastor's telling your children not to go to university because they'll lose their faith. The man has a university degree, right? Oh like, my God. Yeah. And, and the critical thinking either isn't there or you go, no, because believe the prophet and you will prosper. And so it's, it's a giant, it's a giant mindfuck. And yeah. so, I, yeah, there's a lot. It was just, it was just all very, very crazy. <laughs> I look at it now. Um, and just the way we process church culture um is just yeah it's not as mainstream at all
0: okay wow yeah. i am really surprised honestly yeah. because like i oh i mean i i don't even know how to put this i'm constantly mad at how uh christianity is handled <sighs> in america and evangelism even evangelicalism here and whatnot mm-hmm. that i didn't realize that can it, in canada like it isn't even really broadcasted that's so dangerous no. it,
1: it is oh my i gosh. tell people that canada will not save because a lot of my american friends will go oh man canada's the mecca i'm like look i it, go wherever you feel ha- safe because ultimately white supremacy exists everywhere um it's about fit, figuring out where you can breathe but canada will not save anyone mm. the southern baptists are having conversations most denominations in canada won't even touch wow like when you're what I'm saying that the Southern Baptists who are dealing with with white supremacy horribly mm-hmm. have on their like agenda at their annual meetings, a subject matter that many Canadian pastors doesn't think exists.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: I've had pastors tell me, oh, why are you bringing American problems to Canada? We don't have those. And I'm <laughs> like, excuse me, have you been to a reserve? There are indigenous communities here who have not had clean water for 15 plus years. What do you mean? Mm hmm. Uh, this country is at war with Indigenous people. Period. Today, wow. there in the East Coast right now in Nova Scotia, there are fishermen. There are lobster fishermen who are fighting for the treaty rights to fish and take care of their family on their their land. And there are white Canadian lobster fishermen who are who have burnt down property, who have attacked Indigenous fishermen, who have literally broken the law and the national police has stopped nothing have watched it happen this is happening now i have friends in in my province in caledonia who are literally sitting on land because the city has once again sold their land out from other them and our leaders are like well these are they're bad apples these guys should stop whatever to come to court i'm like oh you want them to leave so they can get a time a day in court so that you can just keep digging and like their city brantford literally a bunch of white folks came there and never left and they that's how the city started the entire city is a bunch of people colonizers squatting and you tell telling me we don't have a race issue i went to school with neo-nazis in high school in one of the best schools in the city in the country my friends had the, the were spat on on the bus because they were black. My brother was told not to dance with white girls at the school dance. Oh. And this is not like in, you know, I'm, I'm not old. This is 20, 2004. Yeah. Right? Like, I had to convince um. my principal that we should celebrate Black History Month in oh the early God. 2000s. Oh, my God. My, my high school now celebrates Black History Month because my friends and I fought for it for two years straight. And made it happen and i'm like we have we have issues now and even it's that's the blatant stuff what about the subtle things what about the people who would like i love you you're my sister we love you and jesus but would never let the daughter date my brother
0: oh my gosh
1: and my thing about canadian racism is that it's never it doesn't it doesn't like to be explicit it likes to be subtle they all they won't say oh like drop get those n-words out of here they'll be like oh we're losing our values Mm -hmm. we gotta protect canadian culture the French Canadians do it all the time. Oh, no, we're French and we have to protect our Frenchness from the rest of Canada because they're trying to swallow us whole. Like, why are you racist then? Yeah. What does that have to do with being like? It's
0: a world it, issue.
1: Oh, yeah. And so I, I just. The, the phoniness and the oh stuff, because we're neighbors to the U.S., we go, we're not as bad at them. Look at those things. Look at the look at the protests. I'm like, mm-hmm. how about we look at the plank in our own eye? There's a Mm -hmm. lot here that needs to be done. Um, And the church is behind everyone. Everyone. We are uh, Christians. Yeah, there are few places to have these conversations. We're having them much more, much more now. When I said what I said and stepped out of spaces, it was very, very, very lonely and very quiet and very isolating. Um, And I talk to people now, like I'm meeting young folks now, 19... Who are leaving their churches for the same reason, and I'm just like, man, a you have boldness I never had at 19, and b so thankful that you get to do this in this era when there's so much literature about it. People are finally having conversations. There are communities built around helping people navigate these things. Whereas when I when when the internet was it for me, Twitter and Facebook were two places I found a lot of comfort and home because. There was no one who got the weird combination of church and race and like oppression that I lived. Mm-hmm. Um, either they understood oppression but weren't really religious and so they didn't care or understand the loss and the grief. Or there were some really nice Christians who were like, I feel for you because I love you and you're sad, but I have no clue how to hold space for this. Um, And we're starting to see a shift. Like, I'm involved with some folks who are, like, there's a group in Canada called Decolonizing Christianity Canada, and we're creating space for BIPOC folks who are either in or out or on the fringes, wherever they feel, have some sort of relationship with Christianity, who um, want to look at what it looks like to heal and dismantle um, and to lead from a decolonized context. So that's been really cool to be involved in that, and to hang out with folks that way. But yeah, it's it's a weird little bubble we're in here
0: yeah I can I can't even imagine like the the only thing I feel like I can compare it to to understand is like what it's like being queer in the Christian world and yeah yeah and kind of like the whole when you talk about subtle racism versus like blatant like the yeah. whole well love the sin, sinner, hate sinner. The sin. yeah like well, you're welcome but you can't serve and like you can be here but like you were loving you so you can change yeah. versus like the people who are like and LG it's like going to hell. And it's just, it's more, it's, it's worse, honestly, because it's confusing and you don't know where you're Yeah. Safe. And
1: yeah. it's like, I love you. I don't see race. I'm like, mm, wrong answer. Or I love yeah. you. You can lead. You can preach. You can sing. Actually, we love when you do those things. Um, but like, don't make too much trouble.
0: Because
1: if you do, then like most of the people don't talk to me anymore. My phone was silent oh yeah, like I got hate mail. <laughs> oh my God. I got, like, I'm like, you've been to my home. I literally like, I I helped you get your job. I prayed for you. And why are you telling me all these horrible things in my DMs? I don't understand. I'm just trying to live. <laughs> oh <my laughs> um, goodness. Yeah. And and so it's very interesting because now I just have less patience for it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't care. i yeah. I'm, I'm, like I care. This is like, I care that people are being harmed um, and I'm meeting young people who are still going through that. There's some kids, some young folks in the church right now in the city who called her, their pastors out on Instagram. And I'm like, bold move. Yeah, and their pastor made this public apology from the pulpit without calling them to even rectify what was there and they had one week of bad press and they moved on with their life and now their congregation thinks oh man pastor so-and-so is so great because he apologized and look at how awesome our pastor is but he never dealt with the actual harm no and the actual impact and these kids are like yeah but now i have now i have to go to therapy for this like you get to move on mm-hmm. with your life but i have to spend years un- undoing this
0: yeah you get like, to check the box mm-hmm. that you said sorry and uh-huh
1: on. or and he never actually said sorry Oh my god. I watched it. I was like, wow. where's the apology? Oh yeah. And again, if these this is like a really big church. I'm like, if you were American, ugh, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't heard yeah. something like that in a while about America. <laughs> Yo, America's I'm just on, like, you'll get like, dragged Wow. <laughs> and it's just I don't I don't want to for me, it's just not worth putting myself out there like that. Cause I'm like, it's not I'm learning to pick my battles. Um and the I hate, like, the like, like the sequinu. Um, sorry, it's French comes in sometimes. That's okay. Um,
0: More to learn for me. <laughs> no the idea. the
1: the downside to having several languages in your head is like, sometimes like mm, word I don't know. I know um, in French, but, but like the repercussions of like going out there and naming names for people who have that much power, but there's no system to keep them accountable. I'm like, as a black woman, I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> my therapy bills are high enough as it is, but yeah, that, that should I, I, be your job. No, and I'm like, I truly believe that everyone gets theirs eventually, and so I'm waiting. Yeah, but it's it's one of those things. Yeah,
0: I feel like I like the answer is probably really obvious, but I think it'll be helpful to just kind of hear you talk it out because yeah. you're so good at explaining these things. But what, why do you think it is that the church and even outside of the church, just white people in general, respond so terribly? when racism is brought up or just pretend it's not an issue when there's like why do you think that is
1: I mean there's a lot of research and work by people who are much smarter and more knowledgeable than me on this stuff but I'm realizing that like just like I'm a human with trauma and triggers like all white people do too right Mm -hmm. and so uh, I think we were talking earlier um before the call about just Common denominators. So this is a really basic example from math class, but when you're multiplying or, or subtracting fractions, if your base isn't the same, you can't, you can't finish the equation. So you can't actually multiply one quarter and one and two sixths. They both have to be under six or under four or under something that's divisible, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think part of the problem is we're not using the same language especially in Christian space. So especially now that we're seeing critical race theory and there's a lot more research around that, um, a lot more folks either in progressive spaces or black and indigenous and people of color are having language for what's going on. But we're having convos with people who just hear racism, they hear KKK. Mm. So I go, you're racist. And he goes, no, I'm not. I don't burn crosses. I don't curse black people. I don't whatever. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's bring it back. Everyone's racist. Uh-huh. you're all racist and that's it's not good but it's okay and i'm like i'm not mad at you because you're racist i expect you to be i'm cheesed that you won't own it i'm cheesed that you're not doing the work and there are some very very nice b- white people that i like that i'm like i can't mess with you right now because you can't get out of your head you have this is not just a head thing it's a body thing hmm right so right now we're in this era where everyone's like oh my gosh racism exists i never realized and <laughs> especially i called june white guilt month because oh i was God. getting so many texts to the point where i jumped on facebook and went dear everybody stop texting me if you want to give to Beyond taylor this is where you can give if you want to help canadians this is where you can give if you want to help me this is my email transfer some monies with my paypal oh yeah but i'm not i'm not replying to your messages i get it you feel bad boohoo like, I don't need your guilt. I don't need your shame. I need you to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. I need you to hang out with other white people to talk about your guilt and shame. Because as long as you ignore that, we can't move forward.
0: Yeah. You need to heal. And then it like almost puts the responsibility on you to yeah. them and make them feel better. And then it just becomes about
1: them. And also
0: you go, okay,
1: I texted the only black person I know and offered them dinner. <laughs> <laughs> check I'm I'm, fixed. I'm not racist anymore I'm like racism whoa. gone. This is a long-term thing like this system did not get built overnight. it's not gonna get dismantled overnight. So if, and I would have people like young folks like I used to be a youth leader so some of the people that I was youth leader for, uh, for were' still friends now as adults um and you know one girl was like yo what do I do i'm like first of all, we're in a pandemic. you're a frontline worker um you know you work in the service industry, you've lost your job breathe. You know, go do some yoga. Take care of yourself. Make sure you're fed. Yeah. Don't add extra anxiety to your life. If you want to read a book, that's cool. Call me in two months. Mm. What? Yeah, because I, again, the anxiety is not going to help us. And uh, a lot of it is a a white supremacy response, right? There's like these markers of white supremacy culture and like that whole urgency. It has to be done now. And what we're seeing right now, and I have friends who do anti-racism work, their emails are being bombarded by churches and and orgs who are like we have to do something now i'm like okay yes i'm glad you're interested but know that this is a process like Mm -hmm. um we you're not gonna read your way out of racism Mm -hmm. right you're not gonna logic your way out of racism and western thinking and whiteness is so sent on like set on okay here's the 12-step program to becoming not racist and i'm like you can't just check off the boxes. Reading Christina Cleveland isn't gonna make you an anti-racist. I don't care how much you call her your pastor. It drives me crazy. Oh, she's my pastor. Yeah, but you're still racist. It's still it's so frustrating to be a black woman in your presence. So what what's the what's the disconnect? Yeah. Ultimately, I'm gonna need you to take that guilt and that shame and take all of the I know it's a really heavy thing. White supremacy is heavy. I'm gonna to need to process that. I'm gonna to need you to hang out with white people and hold each other accountable. I'm going to need to go to actually reflect how the way you live, how the way you lead. And for those who run businesses and corporations and churches, how your systems actually perpetuate that. You don't know how? Great. There are some amazing people you can pay to do it. Pay them well. I will point you to people, black women, white women who are working with white caucus work. Go pay them to do that work. And then be accountable to them. You want to change how your org works? Because I have this combo all the time of a lot of friends who are post-evangelical and they're trying to do like cool things. And like, yeah, but the problem is most white post-evangelicals didn't leave church because it was racist. They left church because it was either homophobic or abusive Mm -hmm. or, you know, power hungry or maybe sexist. So a bunch of white folk were like, oh, my gosh, my church hates gay people. That's wrong. I'm leaving. And it tapped on race at the end. Oh, my church is really bad ab- around rape culture. That's horrible. I'm leaving. And then tapped on race at the end. Yeah. So now we're progressives. And so we're all of these things, but but you've never actually processed your internal racism. And that's why I don't I'm like, I don't want to go to progressive church either, because I'm just the utopian on the other side.
0: Yeah. You just kind right? of prove their
1: arrogant point and you still have a church and a church system that was founded by old white people that was founded on racism and white supremacy that stole land from indigenous people that probably enslaved black people as well that yeah. still perpetuate the system it's paternalistic you know like it's that whole liberalism thing i'm like i don't need i don't need you to take care of me like i, I <laughs> my old boss this summer mess I, I i i'm a performer so most <laughs> of my work because of covid is gone um and so i did a pop-up i I cook for fun and i used to cook in the industry and so um i decided to bake to make some cash and he commented on my facebook post being like oh hey i guess you're not shipping to my city but i'd love to like donate some money for someone to have some food and i was like i don't need your money i need you to deal with the racism in your organization and how you're harmful to people of color Mm. oh uh i guess we should like catch up for what why i we don't i don't need you to take care of me that that's done i need you to handle yourself you can't f- just throw i mean look y'all should just get rid of money we can just throw money at it and be like look i helped buy someone dinner or i paid for someone's tuition or i paid someone's bill so now white supremacy is over and i'm great and tap me on my back see i care for black people yeah um how are you are you calling out your family uh how is your or organization work structured like I think I mentioned this already, the United Church of Canada goes, oh, we're now an anti-racist organization. I'm like, okay, cool. So you have a hundred plus years of racist institution. You are literally built on the racism the country was built on. Mm-hmm. Are you dismantling your church? Are you shutting down operations and giving all the land back to indigenous people? So how are you going to become how are you going to declare yourself anti-racist? Yeah. It, it, and I had to laugh. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> You can't just declare yourself anti-racist. Some old white folk sat on a board, maybe invited their 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 favorite tokens and went, "Okay, guys, I think it's time we become anti-racist. Let's <laughs> sign a paper." I'm like, "I and I'm sure it's a lot more complicated than that. I'm not involved in United Church Canada policy, but like no. uh Uh-uh. Right? And this is yeah, this is slow work. This is body work. Um and I think a lot of white folks like really need to sit down and deal with that um and i think they're they're responding out of insecurity out of fear out of guilt out of shame and we all have those things that we're triggered at in those areas and i'm like okay cool i know what i'm doing with mine my insecurity and my shame and my fear i am taking to my therapist i am taking to my community i am putting practices in my life that helped me be more embodied so I can handle it. So I'm meditating. I'm reclaiming ancestral practices. I'm burning lavender. I'm putting um, offerings out to my ancestors. I'm reading. I'm, I'm singing. I'm, I'm challenging myself. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, what are you yeah. doing to undo that in yourself? Because, unfortunately, we can't all be free until you're free to.
0: Yeah. Oh, Wow. Wow. So so from what I'm gathering is like the work that needs to be done from a white person is uh, reflecting and looking inward at their own issues and owning, owning the racism and holding each other accountable versus showing pity and trying to fix things with yeah. money or sympathy texts or something easy and moving on. Am I saying yeah. that right?
1: In a sense, like, I mean, again, there's only so much we can talk about in the, in the short period of time, but like, yeah, it's 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 work. It's long term work. um, mm-hmm. it's there's no band-aid that will fix it. Um, and the odds are you have no clue how you lead yourself into that freedom. Go find someone to lead you into it. Um, and there are, I mean, in Canada, there's a group here in Ontario called Kenosis of white people who have who are like co- they're white Christians who are committed to undoing that work in themselves and in their communities. And they were birthed out of relationship with a black woman who used to be on staff with a certain denomination here, um, Bernadette Arthur. Um, She was on staff at CRC and helped start these kenosis groups. And now they're independent, but they're, it's been really cool to watch them work. And no one's perfect at this, but like a friend and I were asked to come to the retreat this past winter as critical friends for lack of better terms. So they're like, we're having a retreat. We'll pay for you to come. Um, You don't have to come to all the sessions. Free retreat weekend for you. But we want to be held accountable to. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So let us like we want to know. We had a session where each side were, okay. what do I expect from you? What do I need? And like, it's not just us as individuals, but we're also part of a community of BIPOC folks who are organizing around some of the stuff. And they're like, we want to be accountable to you guys and the work we do and i have other friends who are doing like parallel work or who claim to be doing like you know progressive post-evangelical anti-racism work but i'm like you're not accountable to anyone but yourself you still center yourself in every conversation um this is all about your platform and your ego and i'm not until you show that you and i'm not even i don't even dislike you i just you're not I'm not going to work with you because you have not done that work and it was actually kind of surprising I was was a little at first like so who are these white people trying to do better um (laughs) Um, you know I had it in my calendar like the white people trying to do better retreat but like
0: like, it,
1: it, it is clear that they're and again no one's perfect but they're doing that work and they're bringing in white people to do white caucusing work and there's been a lot more talk and research around lately about how this work can't be done in mixed spaces, like, you're just going to harm people. Mm. Um, the things that, like, white folks are going to talk about and suss out, by, if you're going to be honest, you're going to harm a person of color in the room. Yeah. Because, again, you sense. have triggers and you're just going to spew, like, whatever. So you're gonna be, and that's okay with other white folks. And so there's a lot of people... Um, Kelly Germain is in North Carolina. She's a, a white woman who does... Um, I think she's in North Carolina she's somewhere in the Carolinas <laughs> yeah. but she's a friend of mine but she also does white caucusing work so she works with white folks like I you know we're, I think I have a friend hiring her to work for a local church right now to work with them because it's a predominantly white church being like we want to do better okay cool we're going to create white only spaces in your community where you can be accountable to do the work and be taught how you can have how you can grow your capacity to lead yourselves in the work so that when we come together with the other bipoc folks, you at least have a certain foundation to work with that we're not teaching you the basics that when I call you out for centering yourself or for being out of pocket, you're not gonna caring all over me and freak out, out of your out of your Karen. out of your insecurities and out of your triggers because you're handling them at home. Yeah um, and I think we're gonna I mean, we're seeing more of that. And we need to see more of that. And so like, yeah, like it's not just like a solo inner work, but like I think communities need to sit together and go, okay. And which is, again, it's very anti-Western. Mm-hmm. Like corporate guilt, right? Like communal yeah. repentance. Like that kind of thing is a very uh, like, un- unfamiliar thing for most white Western individualists. Mm-hmm. Why should I have to apologize for what ha- what someone so and so did a hundred years ago? I'm like, well, you're still doing it for one. Yeah, you're benefiting and, off of it. Yeah, and we're all connected, right? All of us are. You, uh, we could sit down and break down how everything that is going on today in our everyday lives is connected to. Um, I mean, your cell phone to mining in in African countries and the enslavement of little kids, whatever the chocolate we eat. Right. Um, The banks we use that are investing our money in pipelines and weapons. And this is in Canada, too. Like the system is inherently tainted. It's inherently racist and we can't escape it, but we can do our best to like push back and to dismantle and to have things that we do in our everyday lives that like challenge that and where we have power we can try to change those systems as well um and I think it's a matter of white folks like getting past themselves enough to realize that you actually have a lot of power to change this if you want Mm. and we need you to get past yourself so do whatever it takes to do that yeah um so that we can actually do some actual work because I don't hate white people despite some people's beliefs <laughs> i've heard that one too um oh my god oh yeah there were rumors rose and hates white people and i was like I, how anyway um so many assholes i was like uh, <laughs> no Ugh. um but like i can't work with you in this work until you know how to follow yeah um uh, there's a leadership principle you can't lead people where you've not been. Um okay. which makes most white CEOs, pastors, leaders completely and utterly unqualified for their jobs.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense that yeah. that makes perfect sense of why yeah. the people in the retreat asked you to come along to hold them accountable cuz it's not possible without your mind, without your perspective, without your just ability to hold them accountable. Sure.
1: Yeah. lived experience, right? Mhm. I'll never
0: I'll never be able to fully understand what you're talking about because I'm sure. not, I don't
1: have your experience. And there are areas where I have no, underst- I'm never gonna understand, I mean, there are intersections, but what indigenous people on this land experience, I'll never get, mm-hmm. and that's fine. And I'm humble enough to go, that's okay. And even though I am the poor working class child of immigrants, I could still say that I carry privilege that my Indigenous siblings don't have because I got access to things that, to education or resources that were available to me because I wasn't Indigenous, Mm -hmm. right? Because I don't have the same experience with this land. My experience with this land and this country is so different. And if I can admit that, I don't understand why every white person can't admit, oh my gosh, yeah, there's benefits for me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you you mentioned earlier how it's not a head... I might be quoting you wrong, but you're yeah. like, it's not a head work, it's body work. Is that what you yeah. said? What do you mean by body work?
1: Um, and again, like, I'm, st- I'm learning this now, too. But, like, um, we're hearing more about, like, somatic practices in anti-racism work. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and even, I was listening to a podcast this summer. I think it's, like, the On Being podcast, where, like, Dr. Resma, um, Manica, don't quote me on that. Um, <laughs> was being interviewed and talking about how like, hey, most of the settlers who came to this land were the poor people from their home countries. Right? Like we know the history of Europe, feudal lords, poverty, war. So a bunch of folks who were oppressed came here or were sent here. Like... We have research now about how trauma is in our bodies. Yeah. Right? Like, I feel like BIPOC folk are just very, very aware because of the nature of what we had to sift through that, like, yeah, I carry my ancestors' trauma in my body, right? My ancestors were enslaved by the French and they fought brutal civil, civil war or revolutionary war to be able to be free. I carry that in my body. I carry the generations after that of the the birthing of a new nation you know under the oppression of the Americans and the French and the British and the Belgians and the whoever else was involved on the land. I carry that, and so we're all doing work in ourselves, understanding that we're communing in our communities with that understanding as a background. but why folks are wondering, why are, like when I look at like instagram like you know, uh, accounts like Karen's going wild. And I go, that's just trauma, bro. Right? Yeah. Wow. Because as easy, I mean, again, I, I make these jokes. As easy it is to make fun of people and then like, find the satire in it, like, white people are human beings too. Right? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Which means <laughs> white people have disappointments and fears and anxieties and traumas in their body as well. Mm-hmm. So if you come from a people who went through famine and war You think that's not in your body still? Right? Mm -hmm. uh, How are you responding? And so there's so much of that. I'm like, yo, y'all need healing too. And I think there's a lot of interesting conversations to be had around like, who were you before you were white? Oh, wow. Because for me, yeah, I'm a black woman. And because when I walk into a room, everyone just sees black. There's a certain like, Connection and unity that all black people have, but I find that this is a a lot different for most Canadians is that we don't have a unified black identity. Most of us are first, second, third generation, right? Mm -hmm. Our parents came here from somewhere else. So, like, I'm Haitian, Uh Uh, right? My friends are Trini or Jamaican or Nigerian. And so, as much as when we come into a room, we're all black, but like, Yo, if you call a Nigerian like Somalian, there's problems. Yeah. If you call a Trini Jamaican, there's problems. You call it Haitian Trini, there's problems. Because, like, no, no, we have this like identity. So I know um, that, like, I don't need, there's no mythology. My people were literal revolutionaries. I have revolutionary blood in my veins. My people were the first black independent nation to ever exist. In You know, 1804 is the date where like we literally finished a war sending the French packing. And, I, and, and Haiti is poor and broken, not because of there's a, I mean, you go, like, oh, there's all this political stuff. No, because the Americans and the Western world made it their mission to punish Haitians for the audacity of being free. Wow. Why would you you, you need sugar cane? Why would you not trade with a country where, that specializes in that? Oh, because you still have slaves and have, like, hell will freeze over before you trade and treat black people like people. Mm. France literally fined us what is the equivalent of billions of dollars for lost labor. Lost labor, excuse you? We were wow. slaves. We were enslaved. That's not lost labor you'll you, what and oh my god and haiti paid haiti's economy was doomed from the beginning <laughs> you can't make money if you can't trade yeah there's a reason why you can fly over the island of hispaniola that haiti shares with dominican and you can almost see the line where the border is because one side is like practically deforested mm. and it's, it's it's generations and generations of systemic oppression like and I I can't stand how people will show like clips of unrest and whatever. Oh my gosh, Haiti! Boo hoo hoo hoo! Most of the free black world can point back to Haiti for their freedom. Um, plenty of Latin and that's why like, Haitians were friends with like Castro and whatever. Plenty of Latin American countries will uh, were influenced by that revolutionary move. And mm-hmm. there's that. So and so for for me, I go yeah, I'm black, but I'm Haitian. I'm you know flag day is important january 1st is my independence day like Mm. i am there's things to be proud in and i go okay cool so i'm white no no no. i'm canadian canada's fake we're not a real country okay i'm american that's not a real country okay it's all stolen who are you Mm -hmm. you british you irish well my people did bad things heck everyone's people did bad things (laughs) are we not related to we i'm sure we're all related to to stealers to thieves and rapists and and adulterers Mm -hmm. but that's still where we're from and so i wonder like i uh, want when you start dismantling white supremacy in you and disavowing your whiteness that you gave that your ancestors gave up for power because you weren't always white there were there were irish folk and italians and there were scottish folks and there were british folks Mm -hmm. And y'all came here and said, "Mm, if I join this, group, you know, if I become white and let go of my traditions and become American or Canadian, then I get more power and more access to things. But if we're going to say we want people to disavow from whiteness, we're going to have to ask ourselves, who are you outside of that? And it's complicated because I'm sure a lot of people who are European go, I don't want you. I'm like, yeah, but like we can't deny that we're all connected. Mm -hmm. And we have to come to terms with that. You know, and and I have I got friends who are white who are like looking back at their Celtic roots and like who are leaving Christianity and thinking about like, oh, what did my ancestors practice practice spiritually? Because like that's still in your body. Yeah. Right. Like you, your body knows that. So what happens when you start embodying these practices? Are, do you feel like you become more yourself? You know, like i am seeing that in myself as I'm reclaiming that. And a lot of us have to because we are so disconnected from where we're from. Hmm. But I think white people forget that they're disconnected as well. Like they are also disconnected from home, especially yeah. here in North America. And so what do you do with that disconnect?
0: That makes so much sense. I've never heard this talked about in such detail before. It really, really just, it makes me want to go do so much research on everything I've ever been a part of. Oh my gosh! So you're saying like the the practices that you mentioned some earlier, like burning lavender, meditating. Is that and and I don't think you said this on the podcast, but I think in an email you told me you recently decided to go back to or to go to Rose Ingrid's, your full name, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is that kind of like you reclaiming and
1: I your mean roots
0: and stuff, or my
1: name is very anglo like and that's the thing with the black kids it depends on who, who your parents are right like i have friends who like they have their african name um and then their english name um my mother like didn't spe- t- teach us creole that's our native tongue because she wanted to make sure that we would be respected in school because it's so close to french that as a french teacher she would see haitian kids in school um and they would get treated like they were dumb or they couldn't speak french because they were speaking their whole their mother tongue oh. and she didn't want me to experience that, so. I'm learning I learned Creole like by in passing, not mm-hmm. explicitly. And so Rose Ingrid, like it's a very English name, like Ingrid's German. Rose. So my mom, my grandma's Marie Rose. And I think my father had a Rose in his side. I think she's the woman who raised him as his mother. So he wanted Rose. And my mom wanted Ingrid. And from what I remember, the story goes that my mom had miscarriages and she read the story about a woman who couldn't have babies as well. Um, and an angel helped told her she would conceive and she had the child. And I think either the angel or the, the woman in the story is called Ingrid. So she wanted to name me Ingrid after that. Okay. Um, and my mom's name is Anne-Marie. And growing up, my mom would go, my name is not Anne. My name is not Marie. My name is Anne-Marie. Yep. And she's not like, hyphenated at all. She's like, you put respect on my name. Um, mm-hmm. But I've started to realize as I've been doing some of my own personal work that like, as a kid, I would introduce myself as Rose Ingrid. And people would go, Rose what? Ingrid. Like, again, German name. Like, it's English. It's an English name. It's not hard. Mm -hmm. Ingrid. Can I just call you Rose? Or I'll just call you Rose. And eventually I stopped fighting it. So I don't remember where it happened, like, in grade school, where I just started writing on my test, Rose. And writing on my name tags, Rose. Because there's there's never enough space in the name tags. And no one, I just stopped fighting for it and so i was actually thinking about it this week and most most people who've known me probably before 2017 know me as rose um the only exception is my mom's side of the family like they all call me ingrid but like they call me ingrid because in french like we would say rose ingrid so all of like my it's funny because my american cousins don't speak french but they've only ever heard their parents say Ingrid. So they say Ingrid, cause like they don't have the, the sound <laughs> in the vocab. It's really cute. I'm That's like, you know, it's, you know it's an English word, right? You can just say Ingrid, but it's, it's still, it's fine. Oh my um, gosh. And then my mom's side calls me Ingrid. And then anyone I've met probably since I moved to Toronto a couple years ago, they know me as Rose Ingrid. Cause I felt more comfortable like as a new space being like, I'm Rose Ingrid. And I just feel like also we're in a time where people are much more accommodating with names. Um, I, I just think, honestly, like, <laughs> anglophones are lazy. <laughs> like, you know, just like, I, and I've noticed that it's just this habit people have. I was emailing someone in a professional context and they're like, hi, Rose. I'm like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh," you don't know me. My I signed it, Rose Ingrid. I know you can read. Why? And I know it's not hard. Like, they're, <laughs> and like, I tell friends who have more traditional names. I'm like, look, if these Canadians can say Kachkowski, and they they love hockey here. If they can say Kovalev and all their fin- favorite Russian and like you know hockey players, they can say your name. Yeah. Um and I just realized that I stopped insisting on my name because I just didn't want to be a burden and I didn't want to you know I just to not be too much trouble and I realized I'm like that's ridiculous. My name is Rose Um yeah. and so I've kind of been intentionally like just actually just now like I have some friends who I've known for years and years and years. I DM them the other day in group giant way. Hey guys, I'm going by Rose and Grid full time now. Just letting you know, mm-hmm. like you can call, if you have a nickname for me, cause like some people will call me Rosie as a, as like a, um, term of a If you have a derivative of Rose that you already call already use, you're welcome to keep using it. But like, you can't just call me Rose cause that's about my name. Um, and I have to catch myself I'll tell stories like, oh yeah, you know, and they said Rose because I got used to not calling myself by my own name, mm. and and I think that parallels so much of my life. Like I used to be a worship leader, and when I realized, I'm like, wait a second, I've been doing this thing that like I love and give, I loved and gave me life, but like I never thought of what do I need, you know? We, uh, I would have these t- debates all the time when I was involved, just being like, hey. Why do we keep singing all these white people? Why are we always singing in English? Ottawa is a bilingual city. Um, Canada is a bilingual country. Um, a lot of the churches I grew up in or went to were, had tons of French people. Why don't we sing in French? Oh, well, uh, I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, you're going to be uncomfortable for five minutes? Do you know that like for people who are Francophone first, every day they have to code switch at work or at school or whatever. What if you gave them three minutes of your time at church? How would they feel? You know that way you feel when you hear your favorite song. How would it feel to like hear a song in your heart language? Oh, Tim from Zimbabwe goes to our church. Why don't we ask him to come play the the the, the djembe on the on the stage with us and incorporate those sounds not as a tokenistic way, but as part of a. If we're gonna say we reflect uh, this is our family, then let's reflect it. And I was I wasn't even advocating for myself as a black woman, as a Haitian woman as a worship leader and I'm like, whoa, no, 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 none of that. And mm-hmm. so like, I love to sing in French though. It's complicated. Cause like it's French is the language of my, you know, oppressor or whatever. But like, <laughs> yeah, it's true. the first language I learned to speak in. Mm. And so there is something about that for me. And so, yeah, I I'm, I'm slowly learning to be like, Oh wait, I'm allowed to take up space and I'm allowed to have boundaries and I'm allowed to state my needs. And it's not a bad thing and it's not a burden and it's not too much. And if it's too much for you, then you don't deserve to be in my space.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh and my goodness.
1: It's a huge thing for me because it's <laughs> it's taken a long time for me to feel that way and to not succumb to the fear that then I'll be alone.
0: Yeah. That right? just like goes with everything you've been saying. I feel like you going by Rose Ingram instead of Rose now, like back from the beginning of this conversation, when you were talking about being a daughter in a in an immigrant family, you can't have needs and you have to be there for everybody else, but. You kind of get erased in a way, Mm -hmm. and so now that's so beautiful that you're just totally, totally taking yourself back and taking everything that you deserve back as a human being, and you get to have your name whether or not other people think it's easier to call you Rose or not. Like it's about you. Yeah, that's so powerful, and I'm like, I'm smiling so big right now. (laughs) I love your story (laughs) so much. It's so cool.
1: Right. Yeah. Thanks.
0: Yes, Rose Ingrid. I have like two or three more questions for cool. you. Cool. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. Totally. My first of possibly three questions <laughs> is, uh, so you you talked a lot about your journey and what it looked like to kind of unlearn past beliefs and discover uh-huh. discover truths and discover your value and your worth and whatnot to get from where you were as a kid to where you are now. What do you think you would tell yourself as a little kid Ooh. not feeling as connected to herself or her body as you are now?
1: Um man I was saying grid um It's going to be okay. I would say that you're safe. I know you're scared. Um, That it's okay to let your guard down. Um, It's okay to not know it all or to not always be ready. Um, That you don't need to hide. And that there's like power and magic in you you have no idea Mm. exists yet. Um. Yeah, I would tell her that she's worthy of love, and she's worthy of demanding love um, from herself and from those around her. Um. Yeah, and that she does. Yeah, she doesn't have to be afraid that she. I'm that she's not alone. And I mean, I, in theory, I tell her that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm learning to talk to my inner child, and I'm always like, yo, especially particularly when I feel. When I notice now that when I get particularly anxious, I'm like, "Oh, that's like my younger self and my protector going into into mode," and that and actually, and I'd be like, "The war is over. Mm. Like we're no longer in battle mode. You can put down your weapons and be." Yeah, that's it's, so special. It's okay. Yeah.
0: That reminds me of what you were saying that teacher yeah. talked to her students like. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, my, my next question for you is what are helpful strategies and maybe just things that you like to do today, especially now with like COVID going nuts and just all the things that we've been talking about today. What are things that are helpful for you to connect with your body or to just love yourself more, yeah. to, to hold yourself accountable in a way of loving yourself and treating yourself well?
1: Ooh, I mean, again, still like an ongoing lesson and journey and some days i'm better at it than others um but i've started like candlelit baths Ooh. or sh- not sh- baths, baths, showers like i'll oh. shower but i'll light candles all across my bathroom and i'll turn off all the lights and i i always listen to music while i shower and i'll pick a playlist but even i i've i've actually slowly because i recognized that some of the tensions in me is that when i left church life i fled so far from spiritual life, that I never really came to terms with, okay, who am I as a spiritual being? Mm. And so all these things that used to help me regulate and give me life, like worship and prayer, and I used to journal a lot, I couldn't do it. I stopped writing because um, it was too painful. And even like as a musician, I stopped writing music because I didn't know how to do it outside of the way I used to. I didn't know how to approach writing songs outside of prayer and worship that was so traumatic for me, but I've slowly started praying again, and it's different because I don't, I don't think I'll ever call myself a Christian again, regardless of what my theology looks like. Um, the way my people were introduced to Christianity was so, so harmful mm-hmm. and so problematic. I, I cannot. Yeah. Um, How but does I, that
0: feel I, to say? <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine it feels freeing, but
1: scary, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because again, it's I'm a, one of my expertise is Christianity. Yeah. Whether I like it or not. And I think I've I'm okay with being like, I'm not ashamed of that. Mm-hmm. And they're not everything that I gained in Christendom was bad. Um, I look at some of the ways I was raised in, in charismatic and Pentecostal circles, and I go, Christians don't have a monopoly on hearing from the divine. Mm-hmm. They don't have a oh, monopoly on yeah. seeing. Heck, I come from a long line of seers. Um, like, Haitians practiced voodoo historically. Um, and so I actually am thankful that I was exposed to a, a culture in Christianity where hearing and seeing were normal and encouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, I look back at my zealousness towards that now, and I go, oh, I was just craving something that was already in me. I didn't have the language for it. And what, like, you know the Bethel types would call prophecy whatever is like there's some really fake and shitty things in that but I've experienced some really th- real things in that that I think go beyond my Christian upbringing um and so like yeah I'll, I'll light some incense and I'll like for lack of better term I'll pray I'll I'll, I'll thank I'll be thankful for the day I'll talk to my ancestors mm. um I've started putting out offerings Um, And it it was not very intentional, it just kind of happened. It was flag day in May and my brother was coming by to visit and I like popped open Uh, he brought some liquor and I had some plantain and I cooked some, and I love fried plantain. Um, We call it banan, banan pizzi. And Mm -hmm. uh, I fried some up the way I was taught to and left some on an altar. Uh, I lit some green for them. (laughs) and we poured the first shot the first shot and the first glass of wine was for the ancestors and we celebrated flag day with our ancestors it wasn't super deep there was no crazy ritual but it was like i'm acknowledging that you're here Mm -hmm. um i'm acknowledging that you're with me that you've always been with me um and i want to i want you to delight in the things that you enjoy um and so i've been slowly doing that i've always loved cooking um and in the last i would say year or so year or two I've noticed that, like, cooking is very much a ritual. Hmm. Um, When I worked in the food industry, part of what I hated about it was that we're always on a clock. You did a good job, but you should have done that in in 20 minutes, not in 40. Like, all the things I loved about cooking would just get pulled out of me when I went to work. Hmm. And I didn't want that ruined. And so I love the process. It's one of the few times where my brain slows down. Um, and I have to be present because you're about every flavor that l- is layered. You know, you can't rush a curry. For example, you can taste the difference between a rush curry and one that was taken th- that was done with time. Mm. Um, because you need to cook every seasoning, and it has to be layered, and it needs time. That's that's ritual. Um, and I've had moments in this summer and before when I'm like, oh, I'm literally when I'm cooking meals that were passed down. Like I'm literally doing the same motions that generations of people before me have done. Oh, I'm, wow. literally part- I'm literally I'm like, partnering in with the ancestors and like aunties and, and aunties and grandmas bef- and, you know, before me who have, you know, pressed plantain between the leaves and soaked it in some salty water and threw it in the oil. Like I'm not just feeding myself. This is really a connection spiritual connection to that. On top of that, um, I've been trying to learn more from my indigenous siblings out here. And I remember, uh, Caitlin Curtis posted something about like thanking food for what it is, you know, for, for its life. Um, a year ago, Something I read it on Instagram or Twitter and I had just like gotten a bunch of vegetables and, I remember I slapped them all on the table and I named them all. I was like, I like lit some incense. I was like, I thank you all for your life. And I was like, yeah, you're, you are living beings that are now going to give me life. And I don't take that for granted. And I'm like, thank you. And even in the way, you know, like I'm making more broth from scratch. Cause I'm not just throwing away the scraps. Mm. And it sounds like a, let's just, just, you know, good ecological. I'm like, no, because it's there is there's a, a spiritual component to cooking and i'm like oh my kitchen is a temple um and and spiritual things happen in there and i think of all of the um root workers and all of the you know the aunties who made tea to make you feel better and whatever and that's what they were doing all of that time um and i get to be part of that lineage and that's a really big gift and i don't take that for granted um, so that I find that really grounding. I love like even making bread. I started making actual bread this summer. Ugh. Wow. and just like kneading the dough I, you you have to be so physically present. Um, and that's really helpful. Um, I love yoga when I get to do it. I wish I was more consistent. Um, writing and and singing are still things that are very, very close to me. Um, I'm still figuring out what. Song and spirituality look like for me on the side of Christianity. because mm-hmm. um, there's something to that for me. Um, I still think that I'm supposed to be making spiritual music and figuring out how to make it in a way that's honoring to who I am today um, and not problematic. Um yeah. but i've seen I've seen glimpses, and i uh, I'm looking forward to exploring that more. So those are all. Like, things that I feel like I've been doing more. I, I have a hard time sleeping, so, like, turning off every light and putting on a body scan to actually help me slow down and regulate um, has actually helped me sleep this semester, which has been a gift. Um, yeah, I think slowing down, I'm I, I really realizing the, the, the value in living slower, which is very much not what our capitalistic culture tells us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that I actually... The pace I'm used to is actually harmful to me and I'm not my best self in it. So I should slow down, even if it means I get less done because I'm actually doing more. Yeah. And doing less, I'm doing more because when I was doing more, quote unquote, I was ignoring my body and I was ignoring my feelings and I was ignoring my spirit. And so now I'm doing all this extra work to to make up for all the times I've ignored myself for efficiency and so, even though that my, my, I can get irked or frustrated that I'm not as efficient as I used to be, I have to remember that I'm actually, I actually am because I'm balanced. I'm much more balanced. I'm feeling anxiety in my body. And rather than ignoring it and just getting it done and leaving it for another day, I'm saying, you know what? I might need to pull away. Maybe I need to go cry. Um, maybe I need to, you know, play a song that makes me feel good or, I don't know, make some muffins. Yeah. Right?
0: I'm, like, taking notes on the side here, thinking of things I want to start doing to help myself love myself better and connect. This is so good. I have learned so much from listening to you talk during this podcast. I'm, like, I don't know. I've never really sat and thought about what it would mean to connect with. My ancestors or where I came from or just how you talked about cooking using the same motions as great great aunties and stuff like i that's so beautiful that's like that sounds poetic to me
1: mm.
0: yeah okay my my last question for you is a little bit of a change of pace are you sure. cool with that of course okay rose ingrid mm-hmm. would you rather have <laughs> An elephant as a pet that always dresses really nice. He's wearing a suit. He's really nice to you. He's like your best friend. But whenever you take him out in public, he has really bad gas. So it's just kind of awkward. Like he's great and he always looks nice and fresh, but he just lets him out really bad in front of all your friends. Or would you rather have a personal assistant who... Mm. Was really, really, really bad at board games, but always insisted that you played them and they were a terrible loser and you just had to play them all the time before they could get their work done. And they always made a big oh. deal when they lose and they always lose. Elephant. Elephant. Sorry,
1: I'm like I'm sorry. My A type is like nope. Oh my god! <laughs> I was like, what do you mean again? No, no, no! no. I'm like I, I don't. No, no. The elephant. I'm like oh my god. They're just a little gassy. I'm assuming if I have an elephant, that must mean I have somewhere to keep it. I must have some sort of field. It must not be. I must not be in Canada. It means I'm warm. Oh my god! I'm, I'm down for that. Oh gosh, no! I could. It would before doing work. Oh no, that would drive me up a wall.
0: That's so funny. I just kind of opened my mouth and that's what came out. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. I didn't plan that. At
1: I was all. like, Ooh, so, oh I my felt gosh! That.
0: <laughs> I could tell you had a reaction. That's hilarious. I would totally choose the elephant too because like people can deal with some farts. It's okay. Yeah, Everybody and, farts. We're good. Again, if you have an
1: elephant, I'm assuming you have a lot of space. Yeah. So let them fart in the field. Exactly. I mean,
0: Big yard. Right? Like. You. At least he
1: wears a top hat, so we got that. <laughs> Poor elephant. <laughs> Oh
0: my gosh, Rose Ingrid, you are so much fun. I wish Uh, I was closer geographically to you. Also, that we weren't in a pandemic. Right? I like. Oh, I want to be your friend. You're seriously so cool. Like I said at the beginning of this, thank you. Let's be homies. Let's be homies. Yeah, I
1: have a lot of internet friends that eventually I met in person. So we'll meet. I'm I'm in the states a lot.
0: Okay. So. that's amazing. Keep in touch Wait, with me. I, I'm about to live in an RV next year, I believe, with my four <gasps> wow. friends. And oh. we're about, I know, we're about Best to like Queer Life. Yes, Queer Life. I love it. We keep talking about going up to Canada um, first before, well, it's a long story. She's a travel nurse, but before my next assignment. So, Okay. I will hopefully be up there, and if not, you be down here, and let's yeah. meet and drink coffee. Wait, do you drink coffee? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Let's meet and drink so much coffee. Coffee. If you like beer. I dig beer. We have, we
1: have real beer here. Okay. You can come up. We'll take care of you. Okay. None of that watered-down whatever y'all drink down south. Yeah,
0: American beer is disgusting. <laughs> it is. So I believe um, There's a
1: lot, and we're in like a really big uptake of like good good coffee and good beer. So...
0: Ooh. Okay. Lots of good craft
1: beer in my hometown.
0: That's a great combo. I am all about it. Done. How how can people find your work?
1: I am Ingrid the Rose on the gram and on Twitter. Um what else? i just doing TikTok. It's really just <laughs> me singing a bunch of duets. So if you want to hear me sing, oh my gosh. Ingrid the Rose on TikTok. Okay. Um I dabble in writing on medium, but I've been slacking you'll uh I'll probably be re-upping re, like, am- in the new year once I'm done school and just like <laughs> revamping. But you can find me in those places. Um, I have a Patreon, Rose Ingrid Benjamin. I'm sure if you put it through the search bar. Um, I'm about to hopefully publish a chapbook of poetry and start a video podcast of sorts. So, Dude,
0: that's awesome. Yeah, I,
1: I st- decided to stop sitting on all the million ideas I have in my notepad and just do them. That's a good decision. And not be a perfectionist and just be like, just put it out. Yeah. And Damn then it. we can build off that. Because if not, I'm just going to sit on everything. So, yeah, I have a bunch of poems I'm going to put together and publish. And uh, I want to talk to cool people and publish that. So keep an That's eye out so for that. so cool. Yeah.
0: Okay, I will absolutely. I didn't know you had a Patreon. I do too. That's amazing. Patreon is a life changer. It is. I. So for those listening, I'm going to put all these links to... All the ways to contact or keep up with Rose Ingrid in the description box below or the notes. I don't know what you call it with podcasts anymore. But <laughs> all of these links will be below. Um, but yeah, Rose Ingrid, thank you again so much. You are a rock star and I'm excited to meet you and drink yeah. coffee and beer. We'll, we'll two-fist it or what?
1: Double-fist it? Double-fist we'll double fist it? it? Yeah, coffee <laughs> and beer. It'll oh, we right. beer, beer, coffee beer. Have I, I have know beer was... coffee in it? <laughs> no. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It is a thing. Do you like stouts? I don't know. I don't know a lot about beer, so oh, okay. maybe we'll, we'll take you on a tour. Oh take yes. take me on a
0: tour. I am when not COVID, very beer knowledgeable. I
1: mean, love y'all, but you can't cross the border right now. That's <laughs> Fine, we shouldn't. We're doing <laughs> terrible. But We're when making this is bad all choices. done. We'll hook you up or maybe I'll mail you some.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. That would make my whole entire life. That's okay. amazing.
1: We'll talk about it after. Yes.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you again. Of and course. I will talk to you later. Maybe Sounds see you good.
1: someday. Thanks for having me. Yes. Okay. I'll see you later. Okay.